Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Today's guest is a special treat. One of my colleagues at the Winnipeg Foundation and one of my favorite people to talk to, Michelle Gazzi. Michelle has worked in the world of community engagement for many different organizations in her career, and now, as the Winnipeg Foundation's Community Engagement Coordinator, she has a profound perspective on the philanthropic sector and the future of giving. I sat down with Michelle to talk about inner reflection, self-identity, and how those things pertain to the next generation of generosity, her work engaging with the grassroots and listening to community, and the current state of the sector and of our city. Thank you for listening to the Because and Effect podcast. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined in studio in the CJNU CJNU Studios by Michelle Gazzi, the Community Engagement Coordinator for the Winnipeg Foundation, and just all-around superhero. (laughs) Michelle, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Well, thank you. I have never been introduced as that, but I like it, and I think I may start using that. Well, people are going to realize why, because every time we talk, I walk away feeling inspired, like it's some sort of, you know, Wonder Woman, Superwoman, Superman sort of... uh, vibe so oh thank you it's good so i'm excited for people to get to know you a little bit and and learn about what you've been working on for the past few years because it's pretty important work um Mm -hmm. but before we get into your work let's just talk about you as a person maybe um just give me a little bit of background who you are what you do what's your story if someone asked you what's your story what would you tell them oh my story is always evolving but in this moment uh who i am so I was born and raised in Winnipeg. Uh, my parents are from Guyana, South America. and they Guyanese. Came, yes, West Indian. And so they arrived in Winnipeg around the 70s and the 80s. And their journey um, here has really inspired a lot of my work within community, within communications, and really storytelling and creating these spaces to connect a community and um, we have a huge family here. I really, really am very fortunate to have grown up with my grandparents, my cousins, my aunts, and through this family, I felt very supported uh, to pursue a lot of different opportunities, not just in Winnipeg, but Toronto, Dubai, Bahrain, all within um, community, all within community engagement and communication. So that led to roles with the Jets. I was the manager for community relations. Uh, CBC in communications as well, and then also a couple not-for-profits that focused on supports uh, with new Canadians. So like ERCOM, the Immigrant and Refugee Community Organization of Manitoba, and just having these different experiences within the private, public, and then not-for-profit sector um, really strengthened my skills and my focus as to how I wanted to use my gifts, how I wanted to serve, Um, And that aligned and led me to the Winnipeg Foundation. So now my work here in community engagement is kind of all of those pieces um, rolled together. And I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying the opportunity here. Everything kind of coalesced and came together. You recently gave a presentation in BC, Victoria, or where were you? Yeah, in Vancouver. So the presentation was uh, called Connecting with the Next Generation of Donors. And uh, I was really focused on sharing our work here at the foundation, just some of the work we've been doing on to start building or strengthen those relationships that we currently have uh, with the donors of tomorrow. And so we introduced the framework of the for all strategy, which 
I'll get into a Mm -hmm. little bit later, but it was really opening up the space to talk about the work that uh, we're currently doing, our next steps, but also discovering or discussing why, Mm -hmm. why we're even um, putting our time and our energy resources capacity into developing this strategy and why it's important uh, for us at the foundation. Yeah, it's a crazy time to be in the philanthropic sector in this world. Um, It's pretty trippy. Maybe before we get into philanthropy and and the future of of what donors look Mm -hmm. like and all that stuff, how has your experience in your life as a set or set, or is it called second gen second generation immigrant like yeah, what's I'm the, second yeah, generation second. Yeah. so like how is that built in how is service how is philanthropy how is giving back built into your sort of how you were raised and how it, yeah. how you kind of came up oh i love that question because i truly feel um i was raised in a culture of generosity i was raised in a culture of giving so my earliest memories of giving um, are with my family, you know, whether it was at the temple, which is like the Hindu temple, whether it was at the mosque, it was like building food hampers, um, cooking to serve uh, different community members, or even helping out families who had just arrived from uh, from Guyana. So that was ingrained in me at a very young age was really just to help each other with what you could do right so there was no expectation in terms of what um, you were supposed to give it was more like whatever you were able to give at that time which could be your love your support your your time um your just treasure. Your ear. yeah just, just your ear uh guidance and i feel like my family was a huge, huge part of um, that upbringing, of sure. that culture of generosity. Very exciting. Yeah, no, it's cool. And the future, all of the research I've seen, you know, stressed, stretched and still standing, all of the, mm-hmm. all of the, uh, all of the organizations in the city, especially after COVID and during COVID have been not doing great. Not all right. are not doing great, but just the there's less dollars, there's more demand, there's more need. What what are you seeing from your perspective when it comes to just the general sense and the general state of f- generosity in yeah. Winnipeg and Canada in Manitoba extrapolated? Yeah, I think there's so yeah, there's a lot of That's different lenses. <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of different lenses. I feel like I can I'd look at things right and there's a lot of different lessons and experiences um I think that I would want to share right now one being that people are tired people are frustrated people are overwhelmed exhausted and they're exhausted doing such great work front line and um I think there's just so much pressure on the front line and people who are very front facing in community to keep this fight going and keep this fight going with very little resources, very uh little support, a lot of uh funding cuts, a lot less resources. So they're doing more with less and obviously they're incredibly incredibly t- tired and mm-hmm. overwhelmed. And what I also see, though, is that there's so many people who want to be a part of the change, who mm-hmm. want to make an impact, who want to be frontline, who want to help out. And I think where we come in at the foundation is like building that bridge between those two communities mm-hmm. and those those individuals. Like, 
how do we build better relationships and connections so that if I wanted to help out and um, give my time, my resource or money towards an organization with new Canadians, like how do I do that strategically, efficiently mm. um, and also in a very meaningful way? Effectively, exactly. Yeah. So, what are the what are the what are the measurements that we're going? Like, what data mm-hmm. are you gathering? What? Are, how are you? It's such a big and complex yeah. sector. What kind of data and what kind of data gathering and and what's the sort of intellectual process of of getting all the information that we need? As a you know, you could just go Google it and and get people's perspectives. But like, what's the scientific? Is there a scientific process? What's the data side of things yeah. to get to get what we need to know? I think <laughs> right now um, we're very centered in on community, very centered in on listening to mm. community, and that's where all the data information is coming from. And um, having the right uh, voices in that room, having the right experiences in that room that we need to hear from that maybe traditionally traditionally we haven't and haven't been at the table and haven't been in those spaces. So um, some of the work that I'm doing right now under the For All strategy is bringing those voices to the table and the room and, in, and building those trusted, genuine relationships by listening right. and by creating the space to, to listen, right? Philanthropy has traditionally been a power imbalance where the people with mm-hmm. the money have typically been the drivers of the policy and, and the what the solutions are going to be. And now we're kind of the, the change is listening to the to the grassroots of the people who are in need of support. Right. Exactly. It's a bit of a change. Exactly. And I think um, like on paper, it looks like such a easy thing to do. But um building that trust and building that those meaningful relationships really take time because it's forever it's not just a you do it one day and it's done forever it has to be a continuous ongoing exactly and there's so many ways to listen right there's so many ways to listen uh not just through Mm. traditional like data gathering of uh, surveys and focus groups and outreach meetings, which we're doing, and they're very beneficial, but there's other ways to listen, like our presence at different community events or community spaces, um, really just creating that openness of accessibility where community can feel comfortable to come to us. Right. Um, and um yeah, just creating that accessibility and inclusivity in those conversations. We're in a new era in a lot of ways, I think philanthropically, is that a word? And just culture, so. culturally, right? Like it mm-hmm. feels like we're in this new world. Post-COVID, we're trying to rebuild. Um, what is your general sense of how the philanthropic sector is going to be um, moving into this next, like let's let's call it the new century of the Winnipeg Foundation mm-hmm. or whatever. It just feels like a kind of a new era. How do you think the philanthropic sector is approaching this new era? Right. I think that what's very common uh, that I'm hearing in spaces and conversations right now is this like sense, this need uh, for belonging, this need for belonging, this need to feel like we're all doing this together, that we have each other's back, that we're supporting each other. I feel listened to, I feel heard, I feel seen. Um, 
and I think that 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 feeling that we're all kind of um, striving for that's what I'm seeing very present in these conversations and I think now as the with the foundation um, and foundations across Canada is really taking a step back and reflecting like how do we mobilize that how do we mobilize that energy how do we mobilize that feeling Um, and how do we mobilize it in a strategic way to like create a greater impact within the community and that everybody does feel that sense of belonging. So my next question, how do we mobilize that to yeah. get a sense of belonging for everyone? You know, like, what is the solution there? Are there solutions yet? Are we still listening? Are we still learning? Or like, what are you? Well, I think listening is the first step. I mean, like, I think people are also tired of just sharing and listening and mm. having conversations and um, mo- Time for some action. Yeah, and mobilizing yeah. is the action piece, right? Yeah. And mobilizing is that physical uh, presence at events. That mobilizing is the right grants and the right uh, funding uh, towards the community groups or organizations that really uh, that really need that funding right now. So I feel like the mobilizing of that energy is going to take a lot of different forms, right. a lot of different shapes. Right. Um, but those are some of the ways I feel like it will be reflective and show up in our community. Well said. Also, yeah. I think a form of mobilization is just in these conversations, mm. right? Is like in in these everyday moments of like really listening and being present and taking um, the time to really understand different perceptions and experiences than your own. And I think Mm. that's a huge form of mobilization. And so it's not these huge grants, it's not these huge events and huge campaigns, which are all super necessary, but it is also in these everyday smaller actions that you're mobilizing compassion, you're mobilizing change, you're mobilizing uh, the feeling of belonging, right? right? 100%. I've been thinking about that a lot in the sense of like, what conversations are you having on a day-to-day basis? Like when you go home and you're having dinner with your family or whatever, or (laughs) you go out for coffee, what topics are you bringing up? Like what ideas are you proliferating? Like what conversations are you having? Because I think, are they based around fear and division Mm -hmm. and all the things that we kind of see in, in a lot of mainstream media conversations or are you talking about community and belonging and connection yeah. and, and, and empowering people, you know? And I think conscious, intentional conversations and thinking about what you want to say and the change that you want to have on the world, I think a lot of people are just kind of floating, just kind oh, of yeah. just floating through life. And uh, life's hard. I, I don't blame anyone for floating, but like thinking about what kinds of conversations we're having is the first step towards making any kind of real and important change and and the world needs to be changed and updated a little bit you know yeah and I think to to add to that is like what you're absorbing right Mm -hmm. and so the people you're around the podcasts you're listening to the things that you're watching reading all of those types of things add to you know the conversations or to add add to your to your mindset right so I think also being mindful and intentional about what you are absorbing is also going to affect how you show up in this world, Mm -hmm. right? And we're in these spaces, on these social spaces that are super tailored, unfiltered to 
to our preferences yeah. and our viewpoints and our opinions. Mm-hmm. And so half of the time, you're own, more than half of the time, you are only seeing information or viewpoints that are similar to your own. And I think there's a lot of positives in that, but there's also a lot of negative in that in the sense that you're not being exposed to other opinions, other viewpoints, other experiences. And I think for you to show up like fully in this world, understanding different viewpoints and different lenses is it's kind of on you to be proactive to look for other voices. One of my biggest pet peeves in the world is confident ignorance. Like mm-hmm. people who are confident, but they don't know what they're talking about. And it's like, where, what, what delusion, where does that come from? And I, and I think you have to consciously seek out differing opinions because the For algorithms sure. aren't going to feed you them. The algorithms exactly. are built to feed you what you want and what you know already and everything. So you have to consciously search out different perspectives yeah. to even have those come across your desk. I wanted to thank you for the podcast recommendation. Was it nice and neat? Yeah. I listened to it maybe three or four episodes. Oh, I can't take credit for that, though. Well, that you, was no, my but, boyfriend but you who told put me, me on. Yeah. Very good show. What what it made me think and I wanted what I wanted to talk to you about is I'm, I don't know if this is a real saying, but I'm going to invent it right now. Radical vulnerability. Because Ooh. those guys are so they just yes. whatever whatever their business is, it is for the world to hear. Exactly. And I think that's a generational thing. You know, vulnerability was kind of looked at as a weakness by oh, I totally. think, uh, from older people. It's like, don't show weakness, don't show vulnerability, just be project strength and stoicism and everything. Yeah. And I think there's this new wave of, <clears throat> you know, Brene Brown probably yeah. started the whole vulnerability thing, but like, just this radical sharing and being yeah. open and honest and, and real and raw. And I'm just wondering, like, how does that shape the next generation of donors and philanthropists right. when, you know, they are incredibly open and vulnerable themselves, but they also require that of organizations and of institutions. They need yeah. that honesty, openness, truth, or else they're not even going to give you the time of day. So yeah. is that accurate is that relevant like I think for anyone an organization or an individual to get to a place where they feel confident and comfortable to be vulnerable like you have to sit with yourself like you have to sit with yourself you have to have that reflection you have to do the inner work Um, and it's the same for an organization you have to sit with yourself your team your values your vision and understand and take a look at you know, what is is serving our organization? Is our work being reflective of the community? And mm. all of that starts within, right? And once you do sit with yourself, then you can gradually, not overnight, <laughs> but get to a place where you feel comfortable to be vulnerable. And I think you can see that shift with the next generation of donors because there has been this emphasis on what is your purpose? What is your passion? What are you, you know, where do you want to make a change? Where And, and that's something, like you mentioned, was not a topic of conversation, let alone supported uh, with maybe baby boomers or um, other in other generations, yeah. right? So, like, there's almost this sense of, and this is not everyone's experience, but I would say there is this sense of, like, inner reflection of how do you want to show up in this world and I think the next generation has been taking that time to reflect on their values to reflect on their purpose 
um, and then professionally and personally aligning their choices and their decisions to those to to those values. Yeah, one hundred percent. And it's uh, it is a privilege to have the time and the energy to yeah. be able to do that work. And I think since Sky has come on at the foundation, Skybridge is our new CEO. New two years, I guess it's mm-hmm. been, but he's. He's listening. He's giving everyone space. He's kind of taking that approach, and it's really Definitely. heartening to see. Yeah, very cool. So when we were sort of discussing what we wanted to talk about, you sent me a list of a few things, and I just need to pick your genius <laughs> brain because I don't even know what this first one is, but diaspora philanthropy. Can you define that, and why did you want to talk about it? Yes. So we were trying to figure out how <laughs> to pronounce it. I think it's diaspora. Diaspora. But I mean, yes. So diaspora philanthropy is something that I am uh, learning more and more about. But because our community and our population is, you know, growing with first and second generation immigrants, and also to tie this into kind of that inner reflection of like self-identity and understanding that self-identity and understanding your roots and your history. Um, there is a lot, a, a, a lot of um, motivation to give back to the countries that they like mm. your parents are from or mm-hmm. that your family is from. And so what we're seeing is a lot of um, donate charitable giving towards charitable organizations abroad and right. internationally specifically see in that a lot countries. with ukraine and the ukrainian yeah, population exactly Winnipeg, yeah. so um it's different than you know sending money back home to your family it's more so to an organization that or an organization that will make impact to like systemic issues mm-hmm. and systemic barriers and challenges that the country is facing mm-hmm. gotcha. um and so that's one thing i find super interesting especially with the next generation because there is this like longing again to connect to identity, to connect to the home country, to connect to your mm-hmm. history. And one way of that connection is being able to support and being able to use your opportunities here to fund and to support organizations back home. Yeah, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think to being able to be connected with people like Social media, for all its woes and, and negatives, we've also been able to see firsthand accounts of what life is like in other countries. Yeah, and we see the privilege and the and the opportunities that we have in Canada, and then you you see the difference and wanting to belong to the global we and yes. just the sort of everyone deserves safety, happiness, protection, and all of the positives that we have here in Canada is is I think part of that motivation to try to raise all boats you know and i think that also comes into um our generation like being able to travel more right Mm -hmm. and also like you said the exposure on social media and and things like that but like being able to travel more you're also being more exposed to different cultures Mm -hmm. the way other people live and the challenges that they face um and the opportunities that are there but are not accessible due to like the economy due to other strains um and systemic like barriers and so after all of this traveling and all of these different experiences also having friends in university who are from all these different countries um all of these like experiences that previous generations didn't have it's almost like this sense of responsibility that now that I know this, what yeah. am I going to do about it? Can't unknow it. it. Yeah. You know, once the 
yeah once the genie's out of the light exactly bottle, you gotta, <laughs> and i think something. like also i wanted to mention because you mentioned something earlier what could feel overwhelming is thinking that you know asking yourself what can i do about this but it can be very overwhelming to think like what how do i save the world, the world. how do i like <laughs> where do i start like what do i do and i think one thing that has been super helpful, uh, not just for myself, but for my family and my friends and, and in within the next generation is thinking about your world. So instead mm. of the world, yeah. within your world, yeah. you, the people around you, the spaces you're in, how can you show up in a way to make impact and make the change that you want to see in those spaces? And I think that's much more realistic and yeah. it's also much more, it's, it's less... <laughs> Daunting, daunting and yeah. less heavy as well yeah think locally mm -hmm. focus well what's that you know take care of yourself make sure your mask is firmly positioned and then look to your neighbor to help and then once your yeah. neighbor has their mask on help you know talking about that old uh, airplane yes thing where you secure your mask firmly before helping secure others but once you're secure like then yeah. focus on your family then focus on your neighborhood then focus on your yeah. town then focus on your country you know like yeah and then keep moving out from that way and one thing with that point is that culturally that's not always what you're conditioned mm. to feel or think right mm. like and i think that's a very um that's a conversation that comes up a lot especially with women of color um, that whole notion of taking care of yourself first is super selfish. Really? You know, it's not like something uh, that I have found in those types of conversations that individuals feel really comfortable with mm -hmm. because the priority is your family. The priority is your family's wellness, mm. your your village, your, mm -hmm. you know, the wellness of your village. And sometimes what that means and looks like is your health or yeah. uh, your purpose like not being realized or not being identified so mm -hmm. as we're talking about the inner reflections and the the inner work and the purpose like like you said that's all a privilege volunteering is a privilege pursuing your passion which could be fueled by your purpose that's a privilege and so I feel like mm -hmm those messages are often coming up in conversations uh, too within the ph philanthropic sector. Yeah, 100%. And I think I'm not an economist. I don't know much mm -hmm. about you know intergenerational wealth, but it's a weird sort of a system we have set up that just because your grandparents were rich and were given land that you now are given, rich and given, you know, it's a weird kind of a whole mm -hmm. ethereal, we're kind of discussing what this all, what does ownership even mean? And in a philanthropic sense, what do you, what do you think the next generation, how are, how are we approaching this intergenerational wealth passed down? Like people are starting to, you know, yeah. Nepo babies are a thing and like <laughs> we're starting to kind of question things a little bit, I yeah. think. So what, what are you seeing from your research and your in your conversations? Uh, what I'm hearing is that uh, there's a lot of conversations about, yeah, the intergenerational wealth, but also what am I co-signing? Right. Mm. So like now that I'm <laughs> inheriting or this wealth is being passed down to me and now what's that, the responsibility uh, yeah what there? is the responsibility and also what am i like co-signing what am i co-creating in community 
by having this wealth now. And I think like there's been a lot of emphasis on that and a lot of internal, I guess, again, um, questions about like, what do I want? What is the legacy I want to leave behind? What is the legacy I want to be a part of? And I Again, I believe that's influenced by more information, more education. And now it's like, okay, how do I apply this to the change or the impact that we want to make as a family or as an individual? And so I think a lot of those types of questions have been coming up of, yeah, what (laughs) what am I co-signing here by by having this well participating in this and system participating even. yeah yeah exactly it's tough for me it's uh, it's a very complicated thing to think about like even the, the the winnipeg foundation and the context within it being established you know right. 100 years ago the world was very different we treated indigenous people very differently white mm-hmm. people had a very different yeah <laughs> hold over society and like a hundred years later we're trying to sort of like reconcile with all of these past situations and we can't turn away from it anymore you, you know th- yeah. there's too much information and, and knowledge out there to keep turning a blind eye on what exactly. has historically happened so yeah how does that affect future philanthropists and how do we like <laughs> how do you even define what the next generation uh, of donors is going to look like, and w- and how are they going to approach some of these big, big historical questions yeah. now that we know how the world was created, you know, or yeah. how society was created? These are big topics, obviously, and we're not going to be right. able to solve the wor- world's problems today. But like, what are you seeing when it comes to his- the historical con- context of how right. everything came to be, and how we're going to move forward? From yeah. That? So just to quickly define when we're talking about. Uh, the next generation of donors at the foundation, like who we're focusing on is Gen X, which is 41 to 65, mm. millennials, which is 25 to 40 years old, and Gen Z, which is 9 to 24 year old. Um, and just wanted to clarify that because a lot of people have different yeah. uh, ideas or define it very differently. And so for us, with these three generations, um, what we're seeing, you know, professionally, Gen X millennials are in these leadership roles, are um, in, you know, into their career, are decision makers, are making, you know, the moves. And so there is this sense of responsibility that has been reflected in diverse vendors, diverse mm-hmm. suppliers, making really conscious uh, decisions uh, in these professional spaces of bringing those um, individuals and those voices and those communities to the table. So I do think that's one of the differences is, or that's one thing I'm seeing yeah. is that the decision makers uh, now have this education and this information and it is being weaved through these decisions professionally. We can definitely do a better job <laughs> yeah. for sure. Yeah. But I am starting to see that. Yeah. Yeah. The next generation's relationship with money is a complicated mm-hmm. one. And just sort of there's an anti-billionaire sentiment out there. There's the 1% versus the 99%. And just sort of this like unease. I'm, I'm the same way. Mm-hmm. Money feels... <laughs> almost like not dirty I don't want to say dirty but just like I don't know it, it, it looks as almost like there's the sentiment that if you have money you did something wrong oh yeah so 
how do we we work in the world of money you, you yeah. can't deny it but what is the solution to that how do we approach uh, such a complicated and messy subject when we're trying to use these resources to solve problems yeah well i think one way is to use your wealth and the money that you are making well, one way is also to have the information, right, as mm-hmm. to how you can use your wealth and your money to do good, to give back to community in an accessible, strategic way that aligns with your values and your beliefs. So for you to be able to do that, you need information. Right. So that's on um a lot of people, but for the foundation, like creating that space to inform, creating that space to collaborate and share what we do and how we do it. Right. And I feel our team does a really great job of that in, you know, creating those relationships. Right. And so that is one thing is that you need the information to know how you can strategically allocate your money and your wealth. Um, What I'm also seeing is this shift to funding and giving to more sustainable Mm -hmm. uh, resources and tools. So not just writing a check and dumping it into, um, I shouldn't say dumping, that sounds (laughs) really terrible, but writing a check and then granting (laughs) granting and giving it to a community group. Um, but making sure that it's going towards uh, programs or resources that are building up individuals and providing them with the tools to be sustainable for themselves and their family, yeah. right? So um, so one example is this organization I heard of. And instead of just, instead of um, only donating food, they're also, this is overseas, but donating food, but also Uh, teaching individuals Mm -hmm. how to farm, uh, how to harvest and do all of these things within their community so that they were able to sustainably uh, grow their own food and produce food for their family and for themselves, right? The old old adage of give a man a fish or teach a man to fish. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. There's so much good work being done. I remember when I was growing up, I was such a little emo, negative, the world sucks, you know. (laughs) Really? I can't see that. It's shocking, I know. (laughs) But since coming to the foundation and just seeing how many people are doing or spending their lives trying to improve the world for others, good people outweigh bad people like 90 to 1. I believe It's just a very loud, you know, one person that's very loud and and negative. Mm -hmm. But like... How do we cut through the traditional ways of doing things and try to infuse new ideas when there's a lot of uh, pushback, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of sort of negative things that are trying to block progression? Like what's the what's the solution to to getting through to people who are stuck in the old ways of doing and thinking? Oh, I think for sure it's kind of what we've already been talking about of. I, and I, I'll repeat it again because I, I firmly believe that it does start with you. It starts with yourself, right? And to block out the noise, to block out the fear, block out the negativity, um, that's only on you to do. You know what I mean? And so whatever it is that you need to do to get to a space where you can hear yourself, you can hear that calling, whether it's mm-hmm. like, 
the universe, spirit, God, whatever you believe in or don't believe in, that's fine too. But whatever you feel called to do, you can only hear that by clearing out the noise. Mm -hmm. And clearing out the noise looks different for everybody. So like for me, it's through prayer, meditation, being out in nature, just like really having a, I call it like a sensory rest, like just no stimulants at all. That is when I can hear what I'm called to do and my next steps and like innovation, ideas, uh, all the creativity yeah. runs through me and pours through me in those moments. For some people, it could be going to a concert. It mm. could be like working out. It could be cooking. Like there's no prescribed way for each person to block out noise. Like, you know yourself, you know what works for you. So do that. And I think when you're in that space is when you start to feel and hear how you should show up in this world, not just for yourself, but for other people as well. That's the superhero response. <laughs> That's what I was talking about. It's right there. I'm just Clip in the it. zone. Clip I'm it. in the zone. Clip it. I've been thinking a lot about system reform and just... Super light thoughts. Super how light to thoughts. approach the entrenched ways of doing and thinking and the rules and laws and things that have that were made in 18 whatever and we're still governing ourselves by the rules of yesteryear mm -hmm. what is the approach to systems reform how can we do it in an efficient and thoughtful and important way that we can move forward unshackled by yeah. the rules and the archaic systems of the past yeah, I think engagement, 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 mm. engagement. And in, and that looks differently for all of us, right? Mm. So um, really understanding your community, really understanding, again, your world, right? And so it can be very overwhelming to constantly hear in the news right. or other sources like of media of all of these um, political things and systems and and processes that are just not serving community. Yeah. And so it's really easy to get wrapped up in nothing is working. <laughs> does, what's the government doing? And it's it's valid. Uh, but I think you need to one thing that is helpful is to take a step back and to really understand your community. Yeah what's going on in your community, what groups, what organizations are there, and engage, like engage with that advocacy, engage with volunteering, engage in those community discussions. Um, and I think that that's one way to feel part of the solution, right? Part of the change. We're going through this conversation on the comms team about what platforms we want to be on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Elon Musk Twitter situation is a dumpster fire from all yeah. from what from my perspective. But we also have a pretty big community on Twitter that we engage with on a regular basis. I just want I'm curious of yeah. your thoughts. I know this isn't your area of expertise or whatever, but mm -hmm. like how much does the platform matter versus the message? And like, do we need to be more conscious of where we're spending our time in online and offline spaces? You know, like, yeah. who does who own owns a platform matter like what are you what are you seeing from a from a youth perspective and from just like the next generation and how we're approaching where we're spending our time online and offline 
Right. The next generation is 100% online. Yeah. And they are um, more motivated to give, especially millennials and Gen Z, by stories and causes and movements Mm. that they are exposed to online. Um, And that's where they're also building connection. And that's where they're also building like a sense of belonging of being part of the movement so whether it's reposting or sharing um, something from an organization that is also a form of of advocacy for those individuals right so I think for us at the foundation and other community foundations and um, I think it's really important to be in those spaces, but be very intentional about those spaces because there's a large group of individuals from the next generation who are really only looking at social media to grow their knowledge of like what is out there, what can I be a part of and and how how can I support. Um, But I don't think that will ever replace in-person physical energy and i think that the pandemic had has shown us that you know yeah i it changed the way our brains work i think like there's a different kind of a you know we when you spend two or three years not looking really anyone actually in the eyes like just looking kind of to the a little bit below their eyes because they're not quite looking into the camera or whatever over yeah. a zoom meeting it changed us and i oh, think it, sure. and it and it changed what it means to interact with people and what it means to you know n- newborn babies die if they don't have physical touch like if you're right. not out, out out shaking hands and looking people in the eye and sitting down for coffee and being in person presently that seems very dangerous to me. And it seems yeah. like the, the epidemic of mental health problems is probably stemming from that. And we don't really have time to get into that. But how did the pandemic change how you approach your work? And how do you mm-hmm. think it's going to change philanthropy moving forward just in yeah. this post-pandemic uh, world? I think for a lot of people, um, well, one, remote work, right? Um, there's a lot that can be done without physically uh, being at your desk or in the office. And I think a lot of people have experienced that. Um, me personally, I because community is so healing to me, being mm. in community is very important to me. Um, feeding off the, that physical energy, like not having that i do feel like it did affect like my creativity um the way that i worked and so to have that physical presence and energy again is really important to me and so with the next generation in terms of um, giving and ways to give i think being online and and social media is definitely one way but it definitely can be combined with that in-person physical aspect, right? And um, yeah, I think it it is kind of scary to see just maybe the lack of social like comfort, the comfort level mm-hmm. in these social settings uh, with individuals who haven't had that experience or grown up in that experience. And I think starting from the beginning um, and curating events that speak to where people are at is going to be key. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 100%. And that's not, and and another element of the conversation is like people who are at higher risk of, of 
complications from COVID or whatever, like they're justified in staying in. And, mm-hmm. and, and we, but, but we still have to find a, a way to connect with them in a, in a meaningful and real and authentic way, yeah. even if it's not in the same place because of the limitations of a disability or whatever it may be. So like it's a complicated, it's a compl- oh, yeah. we got a lot of work ahead of us. Is what oh, I mean. for sure. And I feel like we're, we're still in it. You know what I mean? Like yes, we're still yes. in it. We yeah. don't have all the stats or yeah. information of, you know, all of these different experiences. Um, so I, I feel part of it is day by day. A part of it is being patient and but also using what we what information we have right now. Um, but understanding that, you know, we're still in it. <laughs> <laughs> so well said yeah. and so true. Um, so at the end of our time together. We do a little segment called Just Because. It's seven oh. questions about the causes you care about and the effect that it has on your life. You want to go through those oh, with us? Oh, this is very Jay Shetty. Okay, Indeed. I'm in it. All right, question one. What is the very first cause you ever remember caring about? Uh, like a religious faith-based mm. cause at our temple. Um, yeah, and supporting the programs and the events that we had there. Start them young. Oh, yeah. Get them hooked. I think I was maybe six or seven years old. Beautiful. I love it. Question two, if money and politics and logistics were no issue, you could just snap your fingers and something would happen. What would you do in support of your current cause that like your main cause right Mm -hmm. now of what you support? I think if I could snap my fingers and have everybody feel peace, Mm. their own sense of peace, I think that would just, yeah, radiate off of each other and we would be able to build and move forward in such a beautiful, impactful way. That's a very smart answer because I think a lot of the conflict comes from a lack of inner peace and people yeah. thinking, making assumptions, but it's all based on that lack of self-love uh, or I whatever feel, you want to yeah, call it. Yeah, I believe that. Very well said. Uh, question three, what's the biggest misunderstanding or stigma about your cause? What is? What would you say is your cause right now? If you, do you have oh, one? Oh, my cause. is. I, I think it's that inner peace, that mm. wellness, health and wellness, because I do feel if you do not you can't prioritize do anything. Yeah, that, you, you can't do anything. You can't do anything. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, okay. so I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to go with that. So what's the biggest stigma about finding that inner peace? I think we're always putting it off, you know, we're mm. like, okay, not, I'm going to take that, it. not valuing it enough. Yes, exactly. And that, um, that we're invincible, you know, and like tomorrow I'm going to do this or I'll, I'll take some time tomorrow or I'll go to the doctor tomorrow I'll be fine. or I'll I'm be fine. fine. This is nothing. Everyone's tired. Everyone's whatever. Mm. And I think because we, uh, I think that's a lot of conditioning, but at the same time, yeah, not prioritizing it and um, and thinking we're invincible, I feel, is a pretty big one. Great answer. Question four, what is a recent victory, either personally or professionally, that uh, you can share with us? Oh, I heard man. you killed it in BC, so that might be the... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You know, I would say a personal victory is just being able to um, show up every day and I can I feel confident to say this is that I am showing up every day as my full self Mm. and it's taken me a really long time uh, to understand who my full self was and is and I think showing up as my 
yeah, full self is a victory every day. Lovely. I love it. Great answer. Um, question five, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? The best piece of advice I've ever been given. Oh, God's got you. And that's, again, like my, I have a very strong faith, but to lean on him, to lean on uh, whatever it is that you believe, to to lean on and to trust whatever it is that you believe, whether it's yourself, the universe, God, the spirit, like, you know, once you have that trust, I feel like you can surrender, you can move forward again as your full self and really like pursue and walk in your purpose knowing that you were uniquely created and molded um, and to use your gifts and those those abilities to serve others and to serve community superhero shit <laughs> right there. sorry for swearing uh question six what advice would you give your 10 year old self if you could speak to her Oh, man, she was so shy and so (laughs) quiet and just read like babysitter club books all the time and ghostwriter. Do you remember that? I do. I do. Uh, What would I tell her? Oh, just like be you, be your be yourself, because, again, you are uniquely created. Uh, Own it. Own your story. Own your voice. Show up. Um, and just be you and like that's being you is gonna evolve like that's gonna evolve with the more education the more experiences the more people you have in your life Um, and yeah to be kind to be patient to be gentle and just to really love yourself and trust that God created you to be uniquely you beautiful I love it and the last question what do you want to be remembered for if at all. <laughs> mm, yeah. What do I want to be remembered for? Um, that I lived out, you know, God's purpose for me mm. every day. Like that I lived out his plan every day and with love and with care and with kindness and with openness. Um, yeah. That I just have had or carried myself in with that presence and that energy of um, faithfulness, of thankfulness, of gratitude, of love, and that I was able to share that with the people around me. Michelle Gazzi, Community Engagement Convener at the Winnipeg Foundation. I'm so grateful to be on the same team as you, to be in the same organization as you. You're great. Um, Thank you for sharing this almost hour with us today. Wow. Um, It's been an honor. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. This was amazing. You're doing great work. Thank you again to Michelle Gazzi for being a guest on the podcast. This is hands down one of my favorite conversations ever. You know, just so thought provoking and so self-reflective and so just impressive and truly an honor to have Michelle on the podcast. So thank you, Michelle. And it's an honor to have you as a listener. I've been saying this a lot lately, but I recognize just how much content is out there, how many podcasts there are to listen to, how many YouTube videos and all the different platforms and all the different programs you could be listening to. So I'm extremely grateful that you've chosen to listen to this podcast and and this conversation at this moment in time. So thank you very much. All music on this show is produced and composed by Trenton Burton. You can hear more of his music by searching Trenton Burton on Spotify. 
The Cause and Effect is a podcast of the Winnipeg Foundation. You can learn more about the foundation by visiting www.wpgfdn.org or by following at WPGFDN on all social media platforms. I'm at Nolan Bicknell on all the socials. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. And remember, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Bye-bye.